of socio-political issues. One man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. Sally, 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 Sally. Welcome. It is your bod boy of nonpartisan political podcasting here, and we are at episode 80 of You Don't Have to Yell. Now, four score episodes ago, when I thought up the title for this podcast, I did it with the goal of letting people know we could talk about difficult issues without reducing those who disagreed with us to two-dimensional costume villains. And that we were forced into a black and white approach to problems that were anything but. And this month, I've been doing some research into political polarization for some upcoming articles I'll be putting out on the website, ydhty.com. And I decided to dedicate the whole darn month to the subject and what we can do to reduce it. And this week's guest is someone taking action to do just that. Caleb Paxton spent time working as a congressional aide in D.C. before getting turned off by the zero-sum game politics had turned into, and upon returning to his home in Texas, he founded Liberatus, an online and print journal dedicated to celebrating wholeness in politics. Now, I asked Caleb on to talk about the journal and also the journey that led him there, and I got some really interesting insight into how people on the Hill feel about the tone of today's political dialogue. Listen and find out for yourselves. I will be back at the end with some final thoughts. Hello, everyone. Welcome to You Don't Have to Yell, the podcast and possible web series, assuming I get let out of YouTube jail, uh, dedicated to electoral reform. I am here with Caleb Paxton, founder and editor of the journal Liberatus. Caleb, thank you for coming on. Dan, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's good to talk with you. Yeah, and 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 to I guess to add some color too to my comment, um, I was I I had an episode which I thought was a very thoughtful and nuanced discussion over the issue of uh, electoral uh, integrity. I'm going to say that okay. word for for very for reasons that will become apparent in a bit. Okay. Um, and it was really all about using scientific method to answer questions of conspiracy theory, things like that. YouTube saw a particular keyword related to an electoral integrity and just locked me up, just took me off the platform. Um, I appealed it. I got back on. Then they took me off again for some reason. So I'm still trying to rectify that. So as of now, I am a YouTube exile, Caleb, but I'm hoping this sees the light of day. All right. Well, thank you. And uh in everything that I've seen from what you're saying, it's always been fair and on point and not anything uh, very divisive. So uh, good luck to you. Let's hope YouTube feels the same way. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I want to dig into your background and I want to dig into you know, some of your philosophies, but just for starters, could you tell me and the audience a little bit about this project you're working on, Liberatus? Sure. Uh, Liberatus is a community journal on wholeness in politics, giving us inspiration to overcome us versus them narratives and become Americans the next generation will love. That's our official one-liner. Uh, we started it almost six years ago uh, after working on Capitol Hill uh, for about four years yeah. and uh, work with writers in politics and government. Um, and uh, we're cur currently running a Kickstarter, which we'll talk about uh, later on, I'm sure, for our first print volume. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And now you actually, you worked as a congressional aide for a while, right? I did. Uh, I worked just over four years uh, on Capitol Hill, four years and two months uh, for a member of Congress. And uh, during that time, I handled policy and also did some scheduling and office management. Uh, And so had a good mix of just different opportunities. It really was uh, working on the Hill as a staffer. There's so many people that you get to meet from constituents to Olympic athletes to, you know, I took my boss's photo with Neil Armstrong once. All right. Uh, So it's just incredible. Some of the things that you get to do. Yeah. Yeah. What was, and what was the environment like working there? Like how did that shape your thoughts on politics and on political discourse? Yeah. um, You know, when I, before I worked on the Hill, it was something that I wanted to do just because I wanted to know what it's like on the inside uh, of Congress. And I think if anybody who's involved in politics, it kind of, Capitol Hill is kind of ground zero. If you know how Capitol Hill works, you kind of understand how everything is working, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was the reason why I wanted to work there. Um, And I think, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people that are, that mean well and want to do their best for their country and think, you know, think that they are on some level. Um, but it is, if, if it looks dysfunctional from the outside and it does, it feels dysfunctional on the inside as well. Mm-hmm. And that's just the, the us versus them mentality. Um, for me, and, and this is partly just my creative drive, I think, but some aspects of work culture on the Hill don't, uh, aren't set up well to uh, accomplish creative ob- objectives. That might also just be my, weird way of liking to work uh, and not necessarily yeah. something that the institution needs to take care of, but um, yeah, definitely dis- definitely dysfunctional and uh, dis- despite some really good efforts and we can get into that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, cause I was going to say like, yeah, as I was thinking about this, you know, nobody goes to Capitol Hill wanting to be part of Congress's 27% approval rating, you know, right. I, 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 right. like, I don't think anybody goes there to do horrible things or the more, most people I'm sure there's, I'm sure you've got your bad element going in there. Um, and so, you know, I'll ask your take on this. It must be very disheartening to get there and see the same level of divisiveness and dysfunction that you see from the outside. Yeah, it is. And that was a big reason why I started Liberatus because I felt that, you know, dysfunction and dissolution at firsthand. And I knew that my colleagues did too. And we, you know, when I meet them for coffee and look in their eyes and and we talk about what's going on, uh, there's kind of uh, among the younger staffers, just kind of this knowledge that this, this isn't working, but we're just here, you know, pushing the machine forward. Uh, I, I don't think it, I think part of the reason why it it looks and is the way that it is, uh, I think people mean well, but I don't think we have a good construct for what freedom means in our country right now. And Abraham Lincoln even said the same thing uh, a long time ago that we we all say we're for freedom or liberty, but you know we we could really use a good definition for what that means. And that was it, you know, during the Civil War. And obviously, he was referencing some people say that freedom is. Uh, the right to live free. And some people were saying that it was the right to have people work for you, uh, slaves. And so, yeah, uh, you know, that's a very, you, you know, we've never had a great agreement on what freedom means. And I think that's a piece of why the dysfunction is there. Yeah. I mean, I would say America's always been a, a work in progress. You know, I think this country has always 
failed its loftiest ideas. And even if you read right. you know, some of the letters of the founding fathers, you know, they talk about the fact that history will most likely judge them as flawed men, you know, and that they've, that, that in some way they've fallen short of the mission. And so I, you know, I don't think that's anything new. I, I, I do think that there are eras in time when that, when the divide over what that means, I think becomes so vast. Um, that it creates serious problems. And, and, you know, one question I have for you is, is so, you know, people get there, they realize it's dysfunctional. um, They're not happy with it. What, what perpetuates it? Like what keeps it going? I think that's a, that's a good question. And I, and I've struggled with that. And I think, I think we have a unique opportunity to change it, which is why I created Liberatus. Uh, I think, I think the fact that we don't have that shared vision is, is a piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, on some level, some aspects of the dysfunction are intentional. Uh, and to give you an example, um, some of them are maybe more harmless than others. Uh, mm-hmm. But as a staffer, one, at one point, I helped organize uh, a leadership hour on the house floor. Uh, fairly common practice, uh, yeah. but a leadership hour on the floor is usually something where one party gets a block of time um, uh-huh. and then they bring members of their party to the house floor and they just cycle through and give speeches and there's planned talking points. And then they have their clips for YouTube and then uh, they leave. And then if the other party wants to have a leadership hour, then they come into the house floor and then they have their leadership hour. Yeah. And so I think like, great. We all got a chance to say what we wanted to say on the house floor and tell our constituents that we said it on the house floor, but the parties aren't there at the same time. Uh, they're not like, there's no back and forth. There's no talking. It's just, this is what, this is what we're going to say. This is what we're about. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've been there uh, and helped organize one. Yeah. Uh, and so like, it's not wrong to say the ideas that you believe in on the floor of the house of representatives. That's great. But I think if we want to take this American idea a step further, instances like that need to be a back and forth between the two sides where we're actually open to different viewpoints in order to find something new. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, if you look kind of getting back to something I said earlier is how kind of every 80 years or so we reach this fever pitch. So if you look, you know, roughly the same amount of time between the revolution and the civil war, as there is between the civil war and the great depression, as there is between the end of world war two and now, you know, Uh so, so there's a rhythm to American history. I think the interesting thing about the, Civil War versus the Great Depression. So the Civil War, which is probably more similar to the current state of affairs here than is the Great Depression, um, is that during the Great Depression, there was way more overlap between the parties and there wasn't this geographic distinction as well. And Mm -hmm. I think what what I see now is that the parties are relegated to geographic regions they're well sorted and that could either mean again just to just to speak broadly that could mean north versus south you know northeast and the coast being more uh liberal uh the south and more rural areas being more conservative but it can also exist within states in the form of gerrymandering and i i've got to imagine that the incentive there and this is something i've hammered on in this uh, podcast before, you know, the incentive there uh, is to uh, av- is to is to fear the base, 
You know, the incentive in a hyperpartisan environment is to fear the primary more than the general, because the general's generally locked up, at least at the House level. Um, right. I don't know if you have any comment there or not, but that's that's just something I've always thought in terms of like how we got here now. Yeah, and I would say that uh, part of with within that context, mm-hmm. uh, I honestly think that there are people who if they follow this through to its logical conclusion they might not agree with this but when you have that divide uh, i honestly think that there are people in south carolina who think that people in san francisco should not be represented in congress and vice versa mm-hmm. yeah and so and so how do you move forward together as a country when you literally think that part of the country is the problem uh and that is where we are at um and I think it's unfortunate. And so I think, you know, the vision for Liberatus' wholeness in politics So the very first thing that there are three different things that kind of emerged over the last six years of us writing about what that means. Yeah. Uh, and the first one is really just inclusive communities. And do we even value uh, listening to the other side? Uh, because that's, that's the starting point. Um, if you know, the constitution, the preamble begins with we, the people, um, it still has to be, we, the people, it can't be, we, the Republicans or we, the Southerners or we, the Californians, uh, it has to be, we, the people. And that has to be the number one thing that drives us. And if that drives us, then we can, you know, take a look at some of the other steps for what wholeness in politics means, but that, that is absolutely the starting point. Yeah. And was there, was there like a particular trigger event that prompted you to start Liberatus or was it more like a, a series of events that drove that, that brought you there? Yeah, it was definitely a series of events. Um, but I think there are a few that do stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I hit a point two years into the four years that I was working on the Hill, where I realized I really wasn't happy and I didn't know why. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to stick this out because this is still a good opportunity but I've got to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so some of the things that really helped reshape it just in a political context, um, one of the great things that you get to do as a Hill staffer is go on trips uh, to different places. So I uh, had the opportunity to go to Wyoming and see uh, the Northeast corner of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like an energy and agriculture type of a trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, there was a moment where we went to, uh, I believe Black Thunder coal mine, which I mean, massive, massive coal mine. If you think of, it's not literally literally the scale of the Grand Canyon, but it's kind of that same effect of you're yeah. standing at the edge of this coal mine and it's just massive. And so, you know, in Washington, we write about what we should do about burning coal and whether that should be a thing or not. And, and you know, all of that. And all of a sudden, here we are, and it's this bipartisan trip. I'm a, I'm a Republican at the time, a staffer. My boss was on the Natural, Re- Natural Resources Committee. Uh, and they were you know, democratic staff counterparts on the trip. And we get off this bus at the edge of this coal mine and we just stand there and we look at it and we talk about how much coal is here, how, you know, the, the, the coal seams are like 70 feet uh, tall. I mean, it was, it was enormous. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you talk about that, you talk about reclamation of the land after uh, you, you've dug it up, you talk about the environment. Uh, and we're, uh, it's this moment where all of a sudden you're just standing there shoulder to shoulder talking about it. And in Washington, we would be slamming each other uh, with press releases and tweets and talking mm-hmm. points. But all of a sudden in Wyoming, we were just having a conversation and we were traveling around on a bus for a few days and we were friends. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, and so it was just that moment of like, yeah, this, like, this is what I want Congress to feel like. Uh, 
And there was also a moment, one of the Democratic staffers told me this, and I don't know, I wouldn't say that this is necessarily how everyone operates, but he said that, um, but although this is also pretty standard for the way politics is right now, he said that uh, when we're, when the committee was planning hearings, uh, that they, that the Democratic side would not get a notice for what the hearing was going to be about until the last minute. And so they weren't really able to take adequate time to bring in Democratic mm-hmm. witnesses. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, I haven't in, dug into that. And honestly, the way things operate on the Hill, uh, the Republicans might have just figured out what the hearing was about themselves at that moment, because things do move quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that, like, that's a really good example. I mean, th- that was hard to hear on that trip, because we, you know, talked, and it's like, this guy's my friend now. Uh, and I didn't, you know, that's not what I wanted to hear. I'm like, yeah, I would rather you just be able to get your best witness and, and bring them uh, into the committee hearing, even if they're going to say we should shut down coal completely. And my boss is going to say, you know, we need it because they're in our impoverished people around the world. And this is a fuel, you know, a source of electricity, right? Those are the, those are the two sides of that. Um, but I would rather be able to have that conversation uh, yeah. in Congress than, than hear that, you know, they were being shut out uh, in order to keep one line you know one party's line going yeah like have a true debate uh, yeah yeah a true marketplace of ideas so to speak we are going to take a short break and we'll be back in a moment with caleb paxton i hope you're enjoying this episode and i wanted to take a brief moment to promote an organization i'm working with to help reduce the divisiveness in politics and bring us back to an era where government actually governs. Now, you listen to You Don't Have to Yell because you know the polarization in Washington has reached literally dangerous levels, and this is a direct result of the way we run elections. Our winner-take-all system of elections rewards candidates on the extreme of their party, it inoculates the two major parties from real competition, and it discourages the compromise that makes democracy function. And ranked choice voting can solve this by allowing people to rank their candidates by preference instead of having to pick just one. And it eliminates the spoiler effect that happens when you vote third party. It requires candidates to run for something rather than against someone because there's more than one other choice. And it ultimately opens up politics to more voices. And in addition to my work with YDHTY, I'm also working with an organization called Rank the Vote. And their goal is to bring ranked choice voting to every state in the union. Now, they have organizations in almost every state, and they need people like you committed to the cause of reforming democracy to get involved. So to learn more about ranked choice voting and how you can help in your state, Go to rankthevote.us, and if you have questions, hit me up on ydhty.com or on social media via the hashtag ydhty. I hope you'll join me. We need your help. And now, back to the episode. You know, the other thing I, I picked up as you were describing the story is, is I think something that we see carried out in uh, mainstream media and, and social media as well, which is this idea that it's easy to paint 
somebody who disagrees with you as this two-dimensional caricature of everything you hate uh, yeah. when you're when you're looking at it from afar you know when you're watching on tv or you're 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 yeah hearing them on social media whereas i think when you're face to face with that person and you're face to face with the situation as well um it, it it's a much different conversation and i'm not I'm yeah not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to come off as pro coal here, but the one thing I will say is it is much easier for me sitting here in Boston or somebody sitting in DC. It's a lot easier for them to say, uh, coal is, you know, or, or for them to talk about how bad coal is for the environment, how inefficient of a fuel it is and how we should outmode it. It's a lot easier to say that from afar than it is to be there right in the pit looking at all the people that are going yeah. to work by that decision. And yeah. 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 And even, I mean, and my, my boss was, you know, in favor of an all of the above energy approach. Um, yeah. And so I kind of, you know, if I'm Liberatus is nonprofit, so we don't take policy stances in my personal capacity, yeah. I probably still like the idea of all of the above just for the practicality of it. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, I really love the outdoors and the environment and uh, the planet. And uh, you know, there's no, it, there's no getting around the fact that we have to take, do a better job taking care of the planet. So just that plug for, you know, where I would fall Liberatus, we don't, you know, not taking a specific yeah. stance other than we should be able to talk through that. Yeah. And so that kind of, uh, that was a question I had on the issue of like wholeness. So yeah. What is wholeness? Is it, a, is it an honest debate? Is it uh, taking the time to listen and understand people? Like what, what do you view as that? Yeah. I, I would say it's three things. And this um, came to me, I mean, I, we, we've published over 100 journal entries uh, online uh, mm -hmm. since we started. And I think during that time, we found some answers that I didn't even necessarily know that we were looking for. Yeah. Uh, and I realized that we were talking in like this pattern of three things over and over and over. And it's kind mm -hmm. of saying the same thing, but saying the same three things, but in different ways. And so I kind of finally was able to boil it down to wholeness in politics that is these three, and that's, again, first of all, inclusive communities. So just valuing uh, inclusivity instead of partisanship. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one would be uh, wisdom instead of ideology. Uh, and so instead of saying that my ideology is uh, even free market or pro uh, conservation or, or whatever, mm -hmm. that there at some point in that conversation, at some point in your ideology, it's not going to achieve everything that we think it's going to achieve. And that's coming also, you know, for me from a faith standpoint. Uh, and so if it's not going to get there all the way to what I, what I say it's going to do, then that means there are gaps uh, in my logic and in my ideology. And so wisdom is asking the questions to uncover those gaps. Uh, so that's the second thing. And also just staying grounded as a person, I would include that uh, it's part of the second point of wisdom or contemplation. Um, again, from a faith standpoint, that's staying grounded uh, as a child of God. But mm -hmm. even if you're not a Christian, staying staying grounded in your values or, or whatever uh, your grounding practice is. Uh, and then the third one would just be creativity. So finding new creative solutions. Um, I think it was actually on this Wyoming trip where uh, we were talking uh, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of conversation and just looking at the science and the technology. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't know if this is too controversial, but we were talking about uh, fracking or ca carbon, I think carbon emissions yeah. and how you can capture that and inject it back into the ground. And that mm -hmm. can, that's a way that um, you can actually sell it on the marketplace so that it can be injected into the ground 
and used uh, to get more out of places where you're fracking, which I know that's also controversial, but yeah. that was the first that I had heard of it. And so it's interesting where it's like, well, are you for or against carbon emissions? Mm-hmm. We don't, that doesn't even have to be the conversation because now there's actually a market for that as a product. Um, but we, we miss those creative ideas because we're not even talking. Yeah. Um, well, it's, there's such a hair trigger approach to it, I think, and such a, such a, such a hair trigger reaction, I should say, to yeah. anything that happens to cross into compromise, I think. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, an example I think of is um, COVID, where I have a group of very conservative friends on social media who are talking about how lockdowns do nothing and how we're putting people out of business. And then I have this other group of people who are. Uh, some I would say on the left for the most part, who are extremely passionate about precautions, passionate mm-hmm. about not opening up anymore, passionate about um, you know having the the ultimate in uh, protective measures to keep this virus from transmitting, and you know in the middle are governors who have to make the decision between how many people go out of business. And how many yeah. people die, and that is literally yeah. what they're what they're weighing out. And there's no room for nuance there. There's no there's no room to say say there is a certain amount of casualties that are going to occur, both financial and, and physical. Um, yeah. You know, you, you mentioned too. You, you you mentioned your your faith in there, and I know we met through Mark Bauer, who, uh, if, if anyone wants to check it out, is a podcast episode from back in August. I was talking to him when he was running for Congress, and you yep. were working with him there. Yeah, we got into a very long conversation about faith, um, yeah, and about how faith influences politics. And 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 for me, um, you know, I was raised very conservative Catholic, uh, okay, and uh, and that philosophy changed over time. Uh, and it really, uh, and, and, and I think what Mark and I both shared was this idea that the focus of faith, uh, very often, or I should say the nexus of faith in politics very often creates rigidity more than it creates understanding. And I'd, I'd really be interested in your, your interpretation and how you apply faith to this approach of, you know, wisdom and of understanding, uh, the other side. Yeah, thanks for the question. And I think uh, you know, faith did drive a lot of uh, what I, you know, where how I've evolved uh, in my you know political capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that ultimately, I think what faith means for politics is that our goal isn't to achieve a policy objective, but rather to show people uh, what the peace of Christ looks like. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if you're if you're a follower of Christ and if you're involved in politics. Uh, the number one goal is for people to walk away from every interaction, seeing something about the peace of Christ in that and um, feeling like that's a, you know, you're a safe place uh, to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we lose that, then I, I have a hard time. You know, I, I don't think there's a necessarily a straight line from, uh, from the Bible to policy. Uh, I think that the, ideas in the Bible can shape how we go about policy. Um, but I don't think there's a, a set in stone way, uh, that we have to, ha- that we have to go about that. Obviously there are some ideas that are going to be better than others, uh, especially in the way that we treat people who are, uh, marginalized, uh, for example, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it really does come down to to how we go about it. And again, I would say the peace of Christ, wholeness in politics, I'm essentially the same idea for me. It's as inclusive communities, wisdom over ideology and, and creating new solutions. That's the starting point. And mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot that can be said and unpacked about all of those, but that's the starting point. Yeah. Yeah. And if you didn't pick up on it, I, I promised you that at some point during this, my camera might run out of batteries. It did. So now I'm a little lower and my mic's a little more visible and everybody's going to have to forgive the fuzzy resolution, but that means you're going to be able to see less flecks of gray in my beard, which is kind of how I like it. So no, it's, enough. it's, yeah, it's, no, it's really interesting. You, you, you bring that up because, um, I, 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 I do think there is, um, I do think there is this, uh, again, getting back to the, to the, uh, to the hair trigger nature, uh, with which a lot of us kind of bring judgment on other people or, you know, with, with the way a lot of people react, I think there's this tendency to automatically attach, uh, someone of someone's faith to a series of issues that may or may not apply. And, um, you know, one of the big things that uh, Mark and I talked about was, you know, Mark's obviously very focused on uh, issues of social justice and how a lot right. of that's been, been ignored. So, you know, I think what I'm, it's funny, like, as we talk, it, it's, it's something I've, I've, I've thought, uh, you know, that I've always thought and something that I talk a lot about on this podcast, which is, you know, part of that, uh, wholeness as you describe it you know part of that making an effective dialogue too is understanding that everybody has depth you know and uh and and everybody has um everybody everybody has a journey that got them to this point you know and sometimes if you understand that journey it makes a lot more sense or what they say makes a lot more sense um now i want to there's there's one last thing i want to get to here um, about Liberatus, because right now you're running a Kickstarter campaign, correct? That is correct. Uh, we are running a Kickstarter campaign uh, for our first print volume okay. uh, on the theme of uh, advocating for refugees, the displaced and marginalized. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have about 21 articles centered on that theme written by professionals in politics uh, and government. And uh, the campaign runs through uh, February 18th. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got to raise just over twenty six thousand uh, dollars to be able to print and distribute the volume. Uh, and really, the idea here is this conversation that you and I are having. Uh, the print volume is really inspiration for this journey uh, to be able to overcome us versus them narratives. Uh, mm-hmm. and and I think become Americans the next generation will love. Uh, I will be embarrassed to tell my youngest niece uh, when she starts voting uh, in a decade and a half. Uh, that we did nothing about the toxic climate uh, that we see, that we saw the Capitol attacked and we didn't do anything about it. That would be embarrassing. And so what kind of future do we want to create? I think that it really starts with each of us on an individual level. Congress is a reflection of the country for better or worse. And so if we don't know how to have these conversations in our own living rooms in a way that's life-giving, we're definitely not going to see it represented in Congress. Mm -hmm. And so thanks for having me on. to demonstrate what that can look like. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I, I, I love, I love the message. I love the mission. And with that Kickstarter, where, where can they find that? I can put that in the notes to this video, the show notes to the episode, but if you want to say it here too, for 
somebody who's too lazy or doesn't like to read, uh, that'd be great. So they sure. can just jump right to it. Sure. If you just go to kickstarter.com and search uh, Liberatus Journal Volume 1, uh, right. or you can go to liberatusdc.org and you'll see a banner at the top of the page uh, that'll take you to the Kickstarter uh, All campaign. Right. All right. Cool. Cool. And there's yeah. actually, there's, there's, I want to echo something you just said, which is sure. uh, something I've said a lot privately and haven't really said on, on the show before, but um, you know, we are at a historical moment in, in America and our grandkids and our kids are going to ask us like, what did you do during that moment? You know, where were you? And you there, and there's no glory to being on the sidelines. So, you know, I really applaud you for, for putting your energy and your firepower behind this mission of, of getting people to talk together. Cause if we don't, um, you know, we've, we've already seen, we've already seen what can happen and certainly we don't want it to get any worse. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess maybe uh, if we have time, I'll end or, or share a little bit about yeah, what's in the volume. Or, so like I mentioned, we work with writers in politics and government. I got a draft of a story. Um, this might've been almost two years ago. Um, the volume has been four years in the making uh, and I've been working, you know, full-time elsewhere and then jumped on Mark's campaign uh, in my personal capacity, yeah. um, which uh, you know, was a life-giving experience because we could, it was much more, um, we could have these kinds of conversations in a campaign yeah. setting, which is unusual for me. Um, but one of the stories in the volume, we ha have a congressional staffer who uh, was in contact with someone who was traveling to the U S border to seek asylum mm -hmm. uh, and so I won't share much more than that because uh, I'd love for you to read the volume, you know, back, back it on Kickstarter and be able to read the story. Yeah. Um, but this person uh, fled Nicaragua uh, because of protesting against uh, the Ortega government uh, mm -hmm. and uh, received some threats from the government that were pretty clear uh, that the person should flee the country. Mm -hmm. um, wound up connecting with somebody that this Hill staffer knew uh, in, in Honduras and, uh, was in contact with the Hill staffer and kind of just said, like, I'm coming to the U S border, um, and I'm going to request asylum. And, uh, then they lost contact. Uh, that's not where the story ends. There's, there's more, yeah. but that was the one, like, that was the moment when I, I feel like I knew volume one, like, oh, there, there's some good stuff here. Yeah. Um, well, that is, <laughs> that is quite a teaser, Caleb. So again, if you want to find out what happens as I, I now have to, um, uh, go to liberatusdc.org or dot com. Dot org. Liberatusdc.org. Um Or again, uh, go ahead and, and kick in a little of their Kickstarter. That site again is liberatusdc.org and you can support their mission on Kickstarter by searching for the journal name. That is L I B E R A. T-U-S-D-C Yes, I said that in the cadence of the theme to the Mickey Mouse Club. I'll have links and more in the show notes on YDHTY.com And if you like this episode, please share and leave a review. And if you have not subscribed yet, consider this your personal invitation from myself. But don't smash any buttons. Don't smash the like button. Don't smash the subscribe button. Let's just tune it down a bit. Let's take it down a notch, and we're just going to tap it. Take it easy, folks. 
As always, music is courtesy of QuellerTac. Editorial advisor for YDHTY is Adam, Chief McGriddle Handler. Yaffe finally found something that sticks. YDHTY is produced in North Carolina, in America's South, by the big Gino, Jason Putney. Until the next, this is Dan Sally. Adios.